The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual co-host and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Firearms Radio Network and or their employers. Viewer discretion is advised. This is especially true on our live shows. Broadcast for shooters, hunters, and gun enthusiasts, this is the Firearms Radio Network. The bandwidth for this episode of This Week in Guns is sponsored by Patriot Patch Company. PatriotPatch.co Welcome to This Week in Guns. This show is brought to you by the Firearms Radio Network and Patriot Patch Company. And this show offers commentary on the latest firearms industry news, information, and buzz. I'm your host, Sean Heron. As always, it is my pleasure to introduce our guests. First up, we've got an attorney and author of the 10 novel prepper series, 299 Days. Glenn Tate, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. This is going to be a fun time. I'm really super excited, man. I, uh, I, I'm very familiar with both of our guests, uh, both of our sets of guests, I should say. And the next one, our hosts of the Gun Freedom Radio Show, Cheryl and Danny Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. And you, you'll have to guess which one's Cheryl and which one's Dan. Look, so. I'm not going to assume anything no. in these days. It's 2019. We're going to be just fine uh, not knowing. Thanks for for inviting us. (laughs) Glad to have you all here. Let's get into it. But before we do, I just want to recommend our sponsor, Patriot Patch Company. Uh, They're making some of the coolest patches in in the biz. And if you're in firearms, you definitely probably like patches. Go check out their Patch of the Month Club. You can find more information at patriotpatch.co. And let's get right into it. Chicago homicides decrease still above L.A. and New York. But it seems that it's crime control, not gun control, leading to these lower homicide rates. You know, there's not really a whole lot to editorialize here except for... They say uh, not only them, but New Orleans is kind of experiencing the same thing. Uh, this actually comes to us from an article from The Trace. This, uh, The one that I'm reading from is from Ammoland, but they, they mentioned The Trace, and they interviewed a research director from the Chicago Crime Lab and basically said that Chicago's recent strategy was to change the policing and management practices in its police districts. 20 of the 22 police districts are now home to strategic decision support centers, which put crime analysts and police officers in the same room to address problems close to the source. The reporter ends with a question about policies that Illinois lawmakers should consider to address violence, and the research director suggests they focus on education and giving law enforcement the tools necessary to pursue investigations and protect witnesses. So clearly, gun control not uh, contributing to these decreased crime stats, and the the exact same in New Orleans. It's not gun control. It's education and actually just doing better policing and giving the police the resources that they need. Glenn Tate, I'm going to start off with you. What are your thoughts here? Well, I'm no lawyer. I kind of am, but um, it seems to me that when you put people in jail, and I know I'm getting out there with legal theory, when you put people in jail, they're not around to commit crimes. They commit plenty of crimes in jail. They're not able to commit crimes outside where we all live. I have to think that this is a lot like the uh, early 1990s. There was a spike in crime, all kinds of crime, a lot of murder, a lot of gang stuff going on then. And a lot of states, including my state of Washington, started doing these three strikes, you're out laws. And lo and behold – Crime rates went down, and it's pretty clear. Oh, and, and the, the liberals got all mad because prisons were filling up. Uh-huh, that was the goal. And uh, when people are in prison, they don't commit these crimes. So I don't know the specifics on the ground there, but I have to guess that that is the factor because the city of Chicago and the, the communists that run it um, have been pretty pretty easily shown to not know how to control this stuff. And so I doubt it's anything brilliant that they did. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Cheryl, Danny, what do you guys think? Well, we have kind of a personal take on what Glenn just said because we have, uh, we own a gun shop ourselves, AZ Firearms. And so we had someone come in over the holiday season and ask to see if a firearm, just like everybody else that walks in the door and asks to see a firearm. The second it touched him, touched his hand, he ran out the door with it. Right? What? So. So shoplifting, but felony shoplifting because it's a federally uh, regulated item that he stole. So he was a little clumsy, fell, scraped himself up, right? So he was easy to uh, to find. The police went and found him, arrested him, put him in jail. And uh, he within 24 hours, you know where he was? Back on Back the street. in front of our store. Wow. Back in front of our store now harassing and pushing one of our customers, harassing our staff, 
And so we called the police again and he was arrested again because now he's got, uh, fel- I think it's felony trespassing and guess where again. he was within 24 hours. He's out again. One thing I like to say though, the Avondale police department where our story is, they, uh, they they're come, amazing from the minute he grabbed the gun to the time he was arrested was 10 minutes. Oh, wow. That's, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Good response. Yeah. And, um, but they, they're not, that's the problem that why don't they enforce the laws we already have and, and go through with them? Why are people just let out when they commit a felony with a gun? Yeah. I, I, I can't even answer it. Glenn, you know, um, oh, well, there's the prisons are pretty full. Um, I, uh, I was a substitute judge just kind of for fun, which was a blast, by the way. It's called a judge pro tem. And I learned a lot. And I'll never forget when I was doing my first docket, right? My first time on the bench. I'm getting my, uh, my robe handed to me by the judge I'm substituting for. It was supposed to be this big, monumental, grand, glorious moment. And he, uh, yeah, don't put a lot of people in jail because you know, we don't have any space for them, right? So anyway, there's that. And then the other thing, but about the, the criminals coming back and everything, and I have a question, if I may. I mean, I don't mean to take over the show or anything, but no. for Cheryl, and that is, I understand from some friends of mine who run a gun store that when when someone is clearly a felon trying to buy a gun and you know it, I've, I've heard stories from gun stores. They call the local police who can't really do anything. They call ATF, and ATF is kind of too busy. As I understand it, and I'm curious what you guys think, if you catch somebody red-handed who's a felon trying to buy a gun, kind of nothing happens to him. I mean, is that right? Well, I'll answer that for Cheryl. You know, we're seeing recently the ATF are following up on de- denied 4473s, which all through the Obama administration, they never did. But we're seeing if they're denied, we usually get a phone call to follow up, get a copy of it. They want a copy of the 4473, and they are approaching these people. So that's kind of good news. But uh, it, it's very frustrating when a person comes in and, and they're denied. Yeah, yeah the, the lack of follow-up that, that we've experienced, because we've been in business for 12 years now, and we've never had anything like this happen before. So it, it was such a weird little series of events. But uh, it is encouraging that at least we're seeing there's some follow-up on people that have come in and tried to purchase a gun. Because one of the things the antis have touted for so long is, you know, the background check has prevented, they love that word, prevented some big old number of people from purchasing firearms. And that is not the case because what happens is, you know, somebody comes in, they do the paperwork, they're denied and nothing, nothing was prevented. They just realized, oh, that avenue is not open to me. I'll go to a different avenue, like, you know, stealing out of cars or breaking into people's homes or, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. But, uh, with this story, the, the, the funniest part for me, which really isn't funny, is that he was released under his own recognizance because he's, I mean, he's trustworthy, yeah, right? Clearly I'll, not a problem. I'll vouch. He'll, he'll, he'll say, I will vouch for me that I'm a good guy and that somehow I didn't really steal that that gun. And now the next day I'm a good guy. And I didn't really go over there and harass these people and, and their business. And it's like, what, what are we doing people? Yeah. You know, if, if somebody uses a gun in a violent crime, such as trying to steal a gun or whatever, it seems that there would be room for those people in the jails and let's uh, take some of the other people out or something. Cause that's serious. I mean, it puts a cop's life in danger, put our life in danger and who knows who else. And, so, I mean, he didn't have, he wasn't going to give it to somebody for Christmas. Right. And he's really, really mad at us because we took his rights away right. now. Yeah. yeah. Right. You did. You know, one thing about jails being full and you're right. There are, there are a lot of people in jail for things that are not violent. I think a good chunk of people in jail and a good chunk of people that the police have to go out and arrest and interact with are just plain old mentally ill. And as I understand it, generation or two ago we we put people in mental institutions and did that sort of thing and i think without the numbers there's just tons and tons of jail space for people who are seriously mentally ill maybe that's this guy and by the way when i say that i don't mean like hey it's cool to go steal stuff and take a baseball bat and 
break your ex-wife's, you know, windows out of her car or whatever like that. I'm not at all excusing it, but right. I just think that if we have X amount of space for actual criminals, you know, two thirds of that, making that up, is being filled with mentally ill people. We ought to have X amount of space for criminals and Y amount of space for the mentally ill. And so we don't have to keep dealing with this. And, and I'm not a bleeding heart liberal. I think it's better for the mentally ill to be in a place where they're not just going to be in a violent, violent place like jail with other criminals. So we just lost our way. 60s and 70s, as I understand it, is when they deinstitutionalized people and let all these folks out. And they thought they were being so compassionate. A good chunk of the homeless, you know, are, are mentally ill. So this isn't the mentally ill podcast, you know, it's this week in guns, but, um, that's an observation I've, I've had. I, I completely 100% agree. And we've talked about it on, on this show and other shows before, um, you know, the lack of institutions and, uh, it's, it's caused a lot of problems with, with crime and homelessness and, and all these other things that we no longer have a place to, for people to go or to be when they are suffering from serious mental illness. So yeah, I, I could not agree more. Next story comes to us from Parkland, Florida. Broward County Sheriff being suspended for his failure at Parkland is what the headline says, but I'm not sure it's that cut and dry. The new governor was just sworn into Florida, and then Scott Israel told his union, uh, members of his union, that it it looks like he's going to be uh, suspended, removed from service. You may remember Parkland. You probably heard about it in the news, something like that. And there's a lot of leadership failures. Is he responsible for that day directly with his own hand? No, but... In my opinion, the leader has to has to fall on the sword sometimes, and he had a culture that that didn't do their yeah. jobs. And uh, you know, I think that I think that he is a problem. That's my personal opinion. I don't know how true that is, but just on the information that I've read, um, Glenn, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, he's a leader. He needs to take the fall. We all know the the dozens of things that just went terribly wrong at Parkland. I don't mean you know just on the day of the shooting. I mean, all the things that led up with it. The thing that comes to everybody's mind is the 39 police calls to this bad guy's house. And of course, I, I don't know about you. I try not to say the name of these dirtbags that do this kind of stuff because I don't want them to get any glory whatsoever. So we'll just call them dirtbag mm-hmm. and all kinds of failures. Um, some school construction failures. There's the, the school resource officer who apparently was, was cowering behind his car. The one guy with a gun, you know, the phrase, Active shooters are always, or active shootings are always ended when a second gun comes on the scene. Well, there was a second gun on the scene and it happened to be cowering behind a car. If all that stuff is true, there's a failure. And, and the way that the thing that bugs me the most about that sheriff is that one of the first, I don't know, responses was political guns, right? It's a big Hillary Clinton supporter, big Democrat, Broward County, a lot of Democrats in Broward County. And you're right, the culture, you hit it on the head. A leader can set a terrible example and, and allow bad cultures to just kind of go and go and go. And then there's something like this. So yeah, he probably should take the fall, but there's probably plenty of blame to go around. Yeah, definitely. Cheryl, Danny. Well, we just yesterday had the incredible honor of interviewing Andrew Pollack the dad of Meadow Pollock and his, he's been so vocal with his hashtag fix it, right? So he's about school security. He doesn't want to get in the weeds talking about guns and gun rights and that sort of thing. He's like, let's just do what we can do to save kids. And so one of the things that he talked about so much on our show was that the things that led up to this shooting were Things that the sheriff and the school board and he cites some Obama leniency rules or policies, he called them, that led up to something like this. Because just like our previous story we were talking about, when people are not held accountable, when they commit a little crime, right, and then the next crime, they're not held accountable. And then they escalate and escalate and escalate until they finally do something that is beyond the pale. And all of us are, stand around shocked and don't know where did that come from. And so when he was talking, Andrew was talking about the school superintendent, uh, that one of the things he was so proud of is that when he came on, suddenly all this school-related crime plummeted, dropped dramatically. And it wasn't that. It was that they stopped reporting it. 
They stopped doing anything about it. They stopped talking about it. And he, with a straight face, looked at the public and said, hey, what I'm doing here is working. And in the meantime, this person, this murderer, uh, was, yes, was escalating and escalating and escalating to the point that he ends up, you know, murdering and, and, uh, destroying uh, so many lives. And so just really quickly before Danny jumps in here, I did see on Andrew Pollack's uh, Facebook page today that there is a new sheriff in town that Gregory Tony uh, is now the sheriff of Broward County. Thank you to governor Ron, Ron DeSantis for bringing accountability to Broward hashtag fix it. Very nice. Right. That killer, he uh, was caught with ammunition before and they didn't report it. And he was like not on even, school grounds, right, which is right. Uh, bad right there. What? And he wasn't even allowed to have a backpack at school because they were yeah. afraid he was going to bring something. So how ridiculous is it that you don't report the crime? Yeah, I, I can't even. Yeah, it's it's completely annoying. And the whole situation is good. But, you know, I personally really do believe that the, the previous sheriff was a huge problem. Just in, in that whole entire culture that, that lived there. And, and Glenn said it, you know, the first thing he did was talk about something political after this. And he started covering his butt probably before the shooter was even, was even stopped. So yeah, point fingers somewhere else. That's exactly the opposite of leadership. Yeah, exactly. Washington gun dealer legally defies new law barring 18 to 20 year old buyers from purchasing guns. Now, uh, Glenn, this comes from your backyard here. So I actually, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And if you, if you don't mind summarizing it, I appreciate that as well. You bet. And I'll start off with some very cogent and complicated legal analysis. And that is neener, neener, neener. And that's what we <laughs> say to the, uh, the anti-gun people who wrote this initiative. So Washington which, by the way, used to be pretty cool when it came to gun rights. And like a year or two ago, things started going south. There was this dumb initiative about, you know, no private sales, which we may talk about in a different context. And that kind of got the ball rolling. There have been a lot of, you know, Democrats and, and socialists, really, that have moved into the Seattle area for all the tech jobs. And they've really kind of messed up the the demographics here. But anyway, or the voting here. Mm-hmm. So – this year or in November, there was a terrible, you know, so-called reasonable gun control initiative on the ballot, uh, initiative 1639. One of the things it did was, speaking of Parkland, it said that uh, you had to be 21, not 18, to own, quote, semi-automatic assault rifles. And a lot of people, by the way, that voted for this initiative have since um, at least told me personally, like, I didn't know it was in it. I thought it was just the 18-year thing. Uh, it was many, many other things. So here's the funny part. It was January 1st that it goes into effect. So you're not supposed to sell, you know, long guns or semi-automatic rifles or whatever to anyone under 21. So uh, Linwood Guns, uh, a gun store that I know of, actually, uh, sold firearms and is selling firearms to people under 21. How are they getting away with it? This is the beauty. This is the neener, neener part. Well, it turns out that the definition of what a semi-automatic assault rifle is that then attaches to this ban on sales if you're under 21, it's not going to be defined until July 1st. So from now to July 1st, there's no definition of what a semi-automatic rifle is. And so you can't be thrown in jail or fined or whatever uh, for selling something the government hasn't defined yet. That would be void for vagueness. So it must have looked really easy to Bloomberg and whatever lawyers he hired, right? We'll just do an initiative in Washington. How hard could it be? They didn't connect all the dots. They didn't think this through about the uh, the effective date, which I find hilarious. So, uh, hey, if you're under 21 in Washington State, go buy guns while you can. Yeah. Uh, what was the name of the place again? I, I definitely want to make sure they get their – Yeah, Linwood, Linwood Guns. Yes, Linwood Gun and Ammunition. So good for them. I think that's great. Cheryl, Danny, what do you guys think? Well, I, I- – Absolutely applaud them for not only understanding and knowing that this is still okay for them to do. And, you know, the whole neener neener is, is so appropriate here. <laughs> but I think that's part of the problem is that so many people don't know, you know, just like Glenn was saying, people that he knows were like, Oh, I didn't know that that's what was in it. And whenever I hear people saying, you know, there's this big, percentage that they like to throw out in the media that of people that Americans believe that we need tougher gun laws. 
And Iowa's thing tougher than what? You tell me what the laws are because I guarantee you a huge portion of those people have zero idea what the laws are. Yeah. So tougher than what? Cheryl, just pass the bill. We'll read it later. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't make me hurt you, know, you on funny. a Friday night. It's funny because, you know, Washington, I, I remember when California was the place to buy guns. We used to drive over to the Great Western Show in California, and if I didn't get a truckload of guns when I came back, I, it was disappointing. Mm-hmm. They were the hub. That was the place where you bought the unusual military, the cool stuff. What happened so quick? There was even manufacturers there. Oh, yeah. Huge gun shows, like and, you said. And get this. Just yesterday, I bought a Class 3 auto burglar in the box, and a, a, it was addressed to the mayor of Los Angeles. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, auto burglar, auto burglar. It was a sawed-off shotgun. Oh, uh, okay. And, and That's the name of a gun. I mean, a mayor. That is ill-advised. <laughs> I'm just going to say that is an ill-advised name. I like I'm, it. But but the fact <laughs> that a mayor of Los Angeles bought that gun, and and where have where have all those mayors gone? I don't know. It's it's pretty nuts. So yeah, yeah uh, Linwood guns, gun and ammunition. Uh, congrats to those guys. Love them. Next story, Dr. Sue's FBI and ATF for denial of a gun purchase over medical marijuana use. I mean, this, it's not even the first time that this has happened. Uh, it's the first time I guess maybe it's happened with a doctor. So he, he has a medical marijuana card. It is to treat PTSD, which is pretty commonly used for. Went in to buy a gun. I'm a little bit unclear on how this went, but it says that the clerk at the gun store asked him some questions which indicates that maybe he was filling out the 4473. But anyway, 11 E, uh, you know, are you an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any other, uh, narcotic? It, uh, he, he said yes. And the guy refused to sell him the gun and now it's going to be going to court. And it looks like there's some politicians that are interested in this as well. And, you know, I think that's, I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts. Cheryl, Danny, why don't you guys start this one off for us? I'll start this one. You know, the, the, Federal law says you can't use marijuana. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if federal law says you can't use marijuana and you want to come in and buy a gun and the, the form says that you can't, they need to change that because it's very hard on us. I mean, we've had people that accidentally dropped their medical card while they were filling out a 4473, which to me is uh, like set up or whatever, mm-hmm. but pass a law to, to get it off the federal books so that people that are using marijuana legit can buy a gun. Because, I mean, I use an inhaler. It's a drug. So it's lawful for me to use that because I get a prescription. So if marijuana is prescribed to somebody, why wouldn't that be legal too? Mm -hmm. Exactly. No, I agree. So, yes, there's two layers to it, really. If they would take the marijuana off of the schedule of, drug class that it's on, Mm -hmm. that would solve the problem right there, right? Because you're filling out federal paperwork using a federally controlled substance. Those two things can't work together. Um, Congressman Thomas Massey out of Kentucky, uh, we actually interviewed him yesterday too. This is so interesting. Uh, Two of our guests uh, hit uh, hot buttons for us tonight. He had suggested, I think he actually put a bill out there, suggested just taking the question off of the 4473 mm-hmm. about marijuana because if the fear is that someone is going to uh, not be in their full capacity when they're around firearms, well, you can own every kind of liquor there is. You can drink every kind of liquor there is in inside of your home. You can have liquor that you're drinking and guns. Right. If you go out in a bar, then you, you can't have all those things together. But there's no logic to the argument that, well, if you have guns or you have any access to guns, then access to marijuana is then somehow, you know, like a crazy idea that we haven't uh, ever seen any comparative examples of in society. And I mean, they just changed the form in the last year to actually even go further on marijuana to add the warning. The use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether it's been legalized or decriminalized for medical or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. So, I mean, they they clearly changed it. And you're right. He did draft legislation to just remove that question 
completely. Glenn, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you and I live in states where marijuana is 100% legal as a matter of state law, Colorado and Washington. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's true in Colorado too, but in Washington state, you know, you can't throw a dead cat and not hit a marijuana store, it seems like. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, it's like a somewhat common Christmas gift even, right? And so a lot of people in Washington state, not me, by the way, because I mean, I don't have huge things against it, really. I just choose not to do it. I mean, I I don't need distractions in my life. And so anyway, um, a lot of people are probably users of marijuana and they think it's legal under state law. So I get the legal thing that's out there, which is under federal law, it's illegal. And I nod my head and I say, yeah, but here's my big question. And that is, you know, you're watching TV and there are all those ads for prescription drugs. Like, you know, do you have like itchy skin, take this. And then they give you all the warning and the side effects, explosive diarrhea, bleeding out your ears, Mm -hmm. you know, suicidal thoughts, right? That's what I'm getting at extreme depression, all these other things. And I don't know how often that really happens, but I know this, there are probably a lot of other medications, and I'm going to count marijuana as a medication for this, that produce really bad side effects. And I notice, you know, ATF doesn't seem to worry about those. Now, it'd be too hard, I guess. You know, they can't have like 7,000 different drugs listed on a thing and are you using these. But I don't think the only people who are on a medication of some kind who probably shouldn't have guns are just people who smoke marijuana. Uh, medical side, too, there are a ton of people that have the medical marijuana cards. They're, they're not really needed anymore. But anyway, it, there are a lot of people affected by this more than you would think. And so I don't know. I can kind of see it. I really don't want people who are high all the time buying guns. But then again, I catch myself and I say, hey, when we're talking about restricting gun ownership, we have to be really, really sure that it makes sense. So I'm kind of – this is rare for me. I'm undecided, but I note that those prescription drugs you know, have all kinds of weird side effects. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really hard with the, the marijuana thing. I don't use marijuana. I've never used it. I'm, I'm a pro rights guy. So how do I stand there and say, you can't have marijuana, but you leave our guns alone, yeah. right? Like you either are for freedom or you're not. And I'll tell, I'll tell you, removing it from the schedule one, it would uh, empty out those, those jails a little bit. Like Glenn said, once those cases start, start coming back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm like Dan, I don't have a horse in that race. I've never used it, you know, so I don't, I don't care specifically about that, but I just think I'm, if I'm an adult and I'm allowed to, uh, make decisions for my life and my body, this thing grows out of the ground. Why, why is our people's lives being destroyed and liberty being uh, restricted over that? But we can distill all kinds of different things and turn it into liquor. And, and we know that there are, uh, it changes people, liquor changes people's behaviors and that's still okay. And it's not prescribed. I don't Uh, think anybody's prescribing liquor. I'm with you. And you know, the, the warning label on marijuana would be just, you know, caution may want cool range Doritos. So yeah. I think that, that that's a, that's a not bad side effect uh, in my opinion. So I hope that this goes somewhere and you know, it, it's going to happen. That That's my thoughts on this. Like this is going to happen. It, it's federally going to change and that's going to lead to some big changes. Uh, but you know, I know everyone's going to push back. I voted to legalize it here. I don't use it, but I also think that our jails are full of people that, that, you know, we're doing victimless crimes especially stuff that involved marijuana. And I'm not down with it. Now I will say here in Colorado from what I've been able to garner, and this is all anecdotal is that we've, we've had a pretty big influx of, of homeless population around the dispensaries and things like that. So it's definitely not been great, but I would vote for it over and over and over again, because like you guys, I'm, I'm all about, you know, freedom and decriminalizing silly stuff. Right. And you know, the, the deal is like if a person walks in my store and he smells like alcohol and he's a little weird, I'm not going to sell them a gun. I'm going to tell them to come back. Same with, with the marijuana. If they smell like marijuana, I'm just, Hey, look, we can't sell you a gun and move on. So if you, if you smoke marijuana, if they do legalize it and you smoke it and you do a crime with a gun or you have an accident with a gun, then you're fully responsible for that. Just as if you would with alcohol, but we don't need that rule. We don't need to say you can't buy a gun if you have a marijuana card. Yep. I agree. Coming to us from Boulder, Colorado, only 342 weapons have been certified in mass non-compliance to Boulder weapons bans. So basically what they, they, they passed a thing that said, if you have 
uh, I'm using air quotes and sarcasm with all due intent, uh, assault rifles that you have to come in and not register them, but uh, get a certificate for them. They don't track the certificates or so they say. They just keep a written tally of how many people come in and do it, but they give you a certificate. So if that you're caught with air quotes and sarcasm, an assault rifle that you have to present the certificate. Otherwise you face penalties and things like that. So it is a university town. It has a population of 107,000 people. And, uh, I, I guarantee, I know friends that I'm pretty sure have more than 342 AR 15s and semi-automatic rifles in Boulder. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, good civil disobedience is a great thing in my opinion. Glenn, how do you feel about this? Well, it's interesting that this is the sort of the lowest Weakest form of registration. I, I still don't, you know, approve of it or, or think it's a good idea. Merely getting a certificate, probably like one of those, um, participation trophy things that all the millennials get. But anyway, so there's the, the weakest form of registration. And in Boulder, Colorado, you can only get 342 people to comply with it because I think as much as we make fun of hippies and all of that other stuff, a lot of them, you know, kind of have it down. I mean, there are left libertarians, you know, those kind of dope smoking folks that still don't trust the government and still believe in a lot of freedoms. And, you know, I love that. That's cool. I mean, we may vote for different people and eat different food and listen for music. Um, but Hey, I mean, you know, if, if you're pro freedom and, and you're pro guns right on this, just, I think is the rock bottom test for gun registration. If you can't even get 340 people in, in a liberal town, super liberal town like Boulder, out of 107,000 to even get their little certificate, then this can't work anywhere. You could not construct an easier test to succeed at than this, and they failed miserably. So, you know, good on you, Boulder hippies. <laughs> I'm totally down. Uh, it's uh, just a few hours north of me, and I, I know they've actually got a big gun culture up there. We, uh, we have listeners that uh, come down to visit the studio during range days and things like that. And yeah, the big, big gun culture up there, uh, which is surprising for all the reasons Glenn said. Now, Cheryl and Danny, thoughts here? Yeah, you know what? Let's save the officials some money. Instead of making an 8 by 11 certificate, just give everybody a gold star. I would like that. A little gold star. And I really think what my idea of what they're doing, I just heard about this and what come to my head, this is a test to see if they can get away with a registration. Yeah. Okay. If, If they don't get any resistance from this, they're going to go to the next step. Yeah. They don't want to revolt. They want to do it smooth and easy. So that's what I think. Absolutely. Um, and what I would add to that is it has got to be so hard to be a Democrat right now if you value your, the Second Amendment and uh, your rights to self-defense and your gun rights. Because like the whole time they're saying, yay, go team, we're winning they are losing or or threatening to lose an entire hunk out of our Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, because in the last Congress, there was the H.R. 5087, the assault weapons ban bill, that pretty much listed by item by item, gun by gun, the ones that they were going to ban. And it was pretty much anything semi-auto rifle, not just rifles, pistols, and not even just pistols, shotguns were on this ban. And the people that I talked to that are Democrat, that are liberal, were like, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. And I said, well, okay, it does. it's not going to go anywhere right now because at that time the GOP still had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Well, now the Dem- Democrats have the House. What if in two years they have the Senate? And the presidency, well, they take that little bill off, they blow the top layer of dust off, reintroduce it, and there's there's no stopgap. There's nothing to keep it from moving forward. Um, How many people signed that? 176 elected officials put their name to that abomination against our rights. And so now that we're in the 116th Congress, I think we are now, that just yesterday, I think, is when uh, a new one was put out. And it was, again, the usual suspects, Blumenthal and um, the lady from California. Everybody knows her name, and it just – Feinstein. Feinstein, yeah. Feinstein, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read it yet, but it's it, – they're calling that a re 
a re-up of the 2017. So I don't know why they're not referencing the 2018. But again, sometimes they do these things, the politicians do these things because it messages their base, but it's safe because they know it can't go anywhere because they know that the Senate and the president are not going to sign this thing. But there are some Republicans that have signed on to the one that was introduced yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. We're not safe ever. No. It's like termites uh, constantly trying to eat away at our rights. Unless you're in a Huntsville, Alabama nightclub where a security officer named Toya stops a man shooting an AK-74 an AK or whatever outside of this club. So this guy gets kicked out, uh, goes out in the parking lot. He's mad about it. He gets an AK-47. He starts firing it indiscriminately as he walks towards the front door of the club. He's shooting it into cars, uh, doing a lot of different things. And this security officer, this uh, she's uh, just pretty kind of unassuming uh, girl, she, she stalks him around a car. She shoots him, puts him down, then decides that she's going to run back into the club, get her trauma kit and tourniquet and come out to treat him. By the time she gets out, he's already hopped into an unidentified car and left. And then in the news article, she, she speaks very clearly and lucidly about what she did, why she did it. And then, uh, you know, she said, I went in to get my tourniquet because anyone who carries a firearm should have them and know how to use them. I think she's pretty amazing. Uh, Glenn, did you hear about this one? Yeah, I did. And I, I just thought, I mean, how many stereotypes are broken here? You know, like, oh, women aren't tough. Women can't shoot people and all this other stuff. Um, she's amazing. And I love the part about having a, a trauma kit. If you're going to have a gun, I don't personally live by that rule. I mean, I have a trauma kit in the truck, so it's not on me at all times, but heck yeah. And once again, you've got an active shooter and the the reason that active shooting stopped was when a second firearm showed up. And I mean, this security guard and she, and from the pictures in the newspaper, she seems, you know, pretty young. Mm-hmm. She's way more brave and competent and clear thinking than the uh, school resource officer we were talking about earlier in Parkland. Yeah. So good on you. I mean, you know, I would, if I, I'll probably never be in the Huntsville, Alabama and I don't really go to clubs, but uh, <laughs> right. you know, I appreciate this. This is cool. And you know what? Here's cool. Here's something else that's cool. People will hear about this club and they'll realize it's a safe place to be because she's there and maybe they'll have an uptick in business. So that's good too. So mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful. What a great, great story. And, and you know what? I bet it's not getting a ton of national coverage. I mean, it's in an Alabama TV station's uh, website. Okay, cool. Yeah. But I mean, we're not hearing about this all over the place, but if somebody you know, does something stupid, then we hear about that for days and days. So yeah, this is a great story. This is, there's good news out there on occasion. Yeah. I I was super pleased. Uh, Danny and Cheryl, what do you guys think of her? I think she's amazing. I did see the clip and I was so impressed with her, her poise. Uh, She just so even the way she spoke, you can tell she's highly trained. And I think that that is so important and so vital when we are trying to protect our Second Amendment rights, that we are doing everything we can to be part of the solution so that we aren't, you know, I mean, we have to be more polite than everyone else. We have to be more aware than everyone else. We have to be more trained than everyone else because there's a responsibility involved in carrying a firearm, just like she said about having the trauma kit. Mm -hmm. I thought that was brilliant. That was beautiful. And it paints all of uh, us gun owners in such a great light that, you know, not only are we ready to protect lives by using force if we have to, but we're ready to save lives if if the need uh, come, presents itself as well. What I thought of, I always keep $60 in my wallet. If I shoot an active shooter, I'll go down and buy a, a kit for him and bring it back and... Hopefully, just joking, guys. I mean, you could, come on. You could order it on Amazon, and maybe it comes in two or three days. Yeah, maybe you could do that. Yeah. Exactly, no big deal. Oh man, I'm in trouble now. I know that, but nope, it's good. It's good. Uh, I'm actually happy to say that I I did track her down and I booked her on my other show. We like shooting. She'll be on our next episode, so I'm really looking forward to talking to her. That's awesome. Yeah, she's pr- she's pretty great so far, and uh, yeah. I think we, you know, we need people who don't fit the normal stereotypes to kind of break out of that. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And my favorite quote in the entire article is the very last line. Uh, she said, thankfully he's still alive today. One day he's going to have the opportunity to make better choices. Yes. Yeah. She's awesome. She's awesome. <laughs> she I love her. Never met her, but I love her. Yep. Agreed.
moving on, House Dems plan to introduce bill to criminalize private gun sales. I think, uh, Cheryl, you just alluded to this, that five Republicans also put their name on it. This comes to us from Breitbart. And yeah, they, they want universal background checks. And I can say coming from Colorado, where universal background checks have existed, and I think only two people have been charged with them. They were both add-on charges just to uh, you know, further put charges on them so that they couldn't get rid of all of them or plea bargain their way out of all of them. Uh, both were dropped in Colorado. So really this universal background check that has inconvenienced law-abiding gun owners as as most of these things do. But you know, a nationwide one where you, you can't even gift your, your child a firearm or anything like that. Glenn, have you heard of this? What do you think? Yeah, and it's it's the same thing that that we have in Washington State that I was mentioning earlier. It's just been a, a colossal pain. It it's dumb. It doesn't do anything. I note that quite a few counties in Washington State, Washington State, you know, you got Seattle and the and the metro area, and then everywhere outside of there, there are thirty nine counties. There are probably four that are really liberal, and in those other thirty five counties, including the county I live in, the sheriff has said, "I'm not enforcing that law." The local prosecutor said, I'm not prosecuting that law. And that's pretty universal. So it's really just a, a liberal zone only law. The problem is, is that, you know, it could be prosecuted. You could be prosecuted for it if, I don't know, you, you get a new sheriff or something like that. It's just, it, it's not doing anything. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's an add on charge after somebody has already done some other stuff. Feel good nonsense. Pretty good example of that. So I, I don't, have much of an opinion on it because it's kind of a, a nothing thing other than a, an annoyance and a infringement on liberty. Yeah. And we'll do exactly what it's done in these states. A national one will do, will do nothing for anything. Danny, Cheryl. Well, in Arizona, we don't have any of those type of laws. And what, what problems do we have? Is there a rampant people buying guns illegally? No, it's, there's no need for that law. It's not going to solve anything. And you're right. It's a, it is a tack on and they'll say, well, we can't get them for this, but you know what? We can do this and we can do that. So somebody would give a gun to a relative, they might get pulled over. They see the gun. Where'd you get it? My brother gave it to me. And now they've got something on the guy. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's not going to do any good. It's, it's another stupid thing that just further takes away our ability to, you know, exercise our freedoms. And I think about stuff. I always try to put myself in, in the place of, does it make a difference? Will it do any good? And I just, I can't conceptualize any way where it does, where, where it solves a problem, stops a problem. And then I always apply the test. Would this have stopped any of the other things that have happened or any of the mass killings that have happened in our country in the last few years? Uh, and no, uh, it just, it doesn't. I, I don't see that it would have the people who did actually buy the guns legally, got them legally and, and use them for terrible things. It just, it doesn't fix the problems that have happened. It doesn't fix any future problems. So it's just feel good nonsense for people to feel like they're doing something. And when, you know, well, as, as they avoid actually doing anything. Why don't we look at a state like Arizona and use that as an example? Yeah, because, Why can't that be applied in Washington or Texas or, you know, all these other states or anywhere? Yeah, because guns are scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were designed to be scary, but only to bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. Moving on to the next story, it's just about corporate activism, uh, banks being blamed for financing mass killings. This comes to us from the New York Times, so you can see how that's going to go just right off the bat. But they talk about some of the mass killings that have happened over the last years and how they had huge purchases on their credit cards and something that could clearly be tracked and, and audited, just like they track fraud right now. And people are saying, well, you know, if they don't do something about this and credit card companies to their credit so far, pun intended, they, they've kind of said, you know, we don't, we're not here to be big brother or anything like that. And clearly when they monitor for fraud and, and tag fraud and then call you and tell you why your debit card didn't work while you're out on a date or something like that, you know, that is for them because they lose money on those things. For this, there's no real incentive for them to do so. So I don't really see them doing it, but I think that we'll see some people, some companies actually get involved with, with corporate activism. And that it worries me. I think since there's not really a whole lot of money on the line for them, it's probably not a huge priority, but just the fact that it's kind of being discussed and being tracked and things like that worries me. Glenn. Yeah, this is a big concern to me because, and I'll try to keep my identity vague. I did some legal work, a lot of legal work for one of the companies that during the administ well, one of the industries that during the Obama administration couldn't get financing. Uh, the Obama administration bank regulators, 
told banks and credit card processing companies not to do business with various industries. And no, it was not pornography. I know that's what you're thinking. No, that's not it. <laughs> Hoping. And so I, I actually got involved in that and I did some discovery and looked at emails, for example, between the banking regulators and the banks. And it was really chilling and disturbing. The bank regulators, federal officials were saying, yeah, you're not going to do business with these people. I'm exaggerating and summarizing, but that's basically what it was. Well, guess what? There, there's some pretty big repercussions. Um, we know, for example, I know that uh, gun stores, I want to say, uh, maybe Cheryl and Danny have some thoughts on this, but some gun stores couldn't get their credit card processing done. We are absolutely dependent, every business, on on credit cards and, and bank overnight transfers and wires and all these things. I mean, we just are. And it was an extremely effective way to shut down some opponents and score some quick political points. And this is the thing, you know, of course, I'm a, I'm a prepper author and, and deal with a lot of prepper stuff. And, and a lot of folks on my Facebook page and elsewhere are always saying, oh, these, you know, Antifa soy boys, they're a bunch of wusses and we can beat them up and stuff. And maybe that's true. What they don't get is some of the tools that the left has to really cripple us. And it, it doesn't involve a law. It doesn't involve any kind of court case. It's just a, a, a liberal, progressive, whatever administration, even hinting to the banks who are, you know, corporate weasels and are a bunch of libs themselves, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's no hardcore capitalists in banking anymore. Trust me. And so it's, it's extremely effective. And it's, it doesn't have a lot of fingerprints and we're going to see more and more of this. And this to me is kind of the, the opening shot on this. Now that we've kind of reshuffled the political deck and the Democrats are in charge of the house, we're seeing stories like this come up. So I'm very, very concerned. And here's the thing. We always see this like conservatives will say, well, we're going to have our own Kickstarter, our own GoFundMe, our own Patreon or something like that. Those rarely take off. There's no way to like have an alternative. You can't have like, the bank of like freedom or something like that, that's just going to take over because for example, the credit card processing systems, they own them and they will exclude people they don't like. So this is a big doggone deal. And I I think not a lot of people are going to pay attention to it, but they should. Cheryl, uh, Danny. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard of operation chokehold. Definitely. Choke point. We were, we were actually part of that. I mean, we had, we have been denied loans. I, we I have affected by it. We weren't part. Of it. Right. I have. <laughs> I have a almost as high as you can get credit rating. We have been banking with a bank called Chase, and we had been banking with him for several years. Went in there to get a loan. They said you'll be approved in 24 hours. I got a call before I even got back in my to the store. 15 minute drive. Said my loan was denied. So one of the managers there that was going to give me the loan called me and told me that it was because of the firearms. Now, it's it's truth. They chased us out. Okay? Bank uh, Chase Bank uh did that. Now, we went to a uh, local credit union, and I'll say the name, Desert Financial. They have been sweethearts to us. They know we do guns, they love us. They gave me a loan that I didn't even ask for. So, they're really good people. And there are some good banks out there, but these credit card companies it's, it's almost impossible to get a good credit card company that doesn't either charge you extra fees or, or whatever. But now I'm getting that with my insurance company. They don't want to insure firearms anymore. So my insurance went up $2,000 this year for 12 months. Yeah. And so they're doing that. And Eric Holder was so much involved in that Operation Choke Point. It's, it's very, you know, they can squeeze us out. Yeah, it, because what do we do if we can't do credit cards? Yeah, it, it is a big deal. Then we go to cash-only businesses like the marijuana businesses everywhere. Oh, Chase told me right after I applied for that loan and they denied it that if I made a deposit over $2,000, they were going to close my account. <laughs> Ever. What? And I made a deposit over $2,000, they closed my account. I said, well, where else am I going to do with the money? I have to make deposits, right? Yeah. So, so they wanted us out, bottom line. What a bunch of jerks. Yeah. Well, and we aren't just a local business. We do business all across the country. Okay. And so, you know, how do you do cash across the country? They can go to the bank. They can get yeah. a money order or whatever, right. you know, cashier's check. I mean, it just slows everything down. And for for what 
reason, really. I mean, we are one of the most federally regulated businesses there is. So for us to end up on a list, uh, part of this choke point, operation choke point, because they called it, um, risky, risky businesses. What did they, uh, Glenn, do you remember what it was called? Yeah. It was like, it was like high risk industries or something like that, where there was a high risk of fraud. scams and yeah. fraud. And I don't yeah. see that with no. gun stores. I mean, if I, I sell, if I sell a gun to somebody in another state, it has to go to a dealer in their state. Yeah, it's, it's so stupid. But even there's no way that you can fraud a credit card if they got a sign for it at the other end, do a forty four seventy three. I mean, it's if I was a credit card company, that's the kind of business I would want because they're safe and trackable. True. So, exactly. From point A to point B, the whole thing is traceable and trackable. It's just another way. And this article that had come out to talk about, you know. You know, do you know that credit card companies are sort of complicit with these mass murderers? It's just another way to affect the culture and to cause those of us that own guns and sell guns and are any way connected with the Second Amendment community to, to look like we're fringe, to look like there's something weird and shady about us. Yeah. And, and I say this all the time on this show and other shows. That the other side, the, the side that hates our freedoms, they, they have gotten incredibly savvy over the last couple of years, more savvy than they've ever been in, in history is my thought. And they are using these things to, to great effect to further their desires and their things. Um, so, you know, these are big concerns and I'll say, I, I already brought it up, but in Colorado, you know, when we approved recreational marijuana sales, it was, there were huge tax numbers projected that was going to go to schools and education and things like that. And those projections have, have fallen way, way, way short. But I mean, clearly we all can, can connect points A, B and C is that it's a cash business. They can't invest, they can't uh, put deposit their money into banks. So when it's a cash business, they're clearly and good for them, not going to report all of their income because mm-hmm. there's no way to track it or, 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 you know, follow that. And mm-hmm. uh, so they're, so they're not doing it. So tax revenue is way down. Home, you know, homelessness and petty crimes are way up, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I'd still vote for it. But it's it's just kind of the same thing. When, when you make everybody an outlaw, they do outlaw stuff. So, mm-hmm. turncoat Marco Rubio introduces red flag bill. This is an interesting one. Uh, in the last presidential election, at the very beginning, I I I kind of like what Rubio had to say. I, I gave money to his campaign on a monthly basis, and then I noticed that he wasn't showing up for his votes. And I said, well, if you can't do your job while you're running for president, then then you should, probably shouldn't have that job. And uh, kind of quit supporting him. I think that when he was on stage uh, with the Parkland kids, that that something there affected him. He doesn't seem to be the same politician that he used to be. And now he's uh, pretty proud about his ERPO or his red flag gun confiscation. He's going to bring it in. Uh, he's, uh, he's super excited about it. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but Glenn, what do you think? I hate red flag laws. Um, I understand the idea behind them, but I don't know of an actual way to make that great idea work, much like communism. Great idea. <laughs> no one can figure out how to make it work. And I think you're right. I've noticed the same thing about Marco Rubio. He, he changed the Parkland thing. When it happened, I halfway expected him to come out and say good stuff. And he was, he was cowering and he was not saying good stuff. I think also that, and we won't get into like a giant nationwide political discussion or partisan thing, but Marco Rubio is part of the establishment Republicans and he's got to be sitting around in the Senate thinking, well, it's not like I can do the stuff I want to do because Donald Trump is a president. So he's kind of like on the outs with the president. And so when people are on the outs, they often, and I've been a lobbyist, so I know this stuff, but they, they often do goofy pet projects because they kind of don't care anymore. That's my interpretation of this. Um, I think, by the way, these red flag laws, these confiscations, and they're just starting in various states, that's when police officers are going to get killed. And, and we're going to see a lot. The, the more red flag confiscations we see, the more police officers we're going to see being killed executing those things. And I don't want any of that to happen, but that could be one of the things that really gets, I don't know, tease this issue up because right now it's policy papers and, and stuff like that and, and words and paper. When a lot of police officers start dying and it's very noticeable why they're dying because of these laws, things are going to get crazy. The, the libs are going to get more lefty and we're going to get more, more angry. So, 
I hate these laws and I'm really disappointed in Marco Rubio, but I've worked in and around politics for a long, long time. And the, the more you know, the more you think they're all a bunch of scumbag lying. All the stuff people say, people don't know anything about politics. They're like, yeah, all politicians are scumbags. And you listen to them and you go, well, how would you know? Well, let me tell you, I've been in it and they're right. <laughs> so anyway, on that note. <laughs> Uh, we've always said uh, anyone who wants to be a politician shouldn't be allowed to be a politician. It, it should be a matter of service, not not that they just want that that thing. Um, exactly, Cheryl. What do you think? So the red flag laws are so insidious and so dangerous, and can be used for so many wrong things. So, period. End of story. Right. Take for example, suppose you're in a, an abusive relationship. Right. And you're trying to get away from your abuser. Well, if your abuser knows that you can protect yourself, all he's got to do is red flag you. Now you're going to be disarmed. You're going to be easier prey. Right. Same thing uh, can happen with the um, domestic or, or what is that? A uh, order of protection that people put against each other. But the main thing that, that bugs me about the red flag laws is it's one of these feel goods. It's one of these well-meaning, probably Marco Rubio in, in his heart, he's thinking, well, if somebody had, if they had had red flag laws, they could have stopped this kid from going in there and murdering the, the high school kids. So he probably has some well-meaning um, motives behind it, but if somebody is so dangerous, why are we only removing one tool that he could use to harm others? Why is it just about guns, mm -hmm. right? I mean, people use all kinds of different things to harm one another, knives and uh, pressure cookers, you know, <laughs> bombs out of them and, and their cars and all that sort of thing. Why why aren't they possibly taking the, the person, the human into custody which sounds, you know, horrible too. It is horrible because why? Because there's been no due process and we don't really even know if there is a, a danger to others or, or to self. Yeah. Well, we had a customer once that had uh, over 90 guns and he had a stepdaughter living with him and she said he abused them. And so the Goodyear police department took all their guns away and then he had to sell them. So we sold all the 90 guns for him. And about six months later, she confessed that it was just made up. So look what that did to him. I mean, he had guns on there that they were just beautiful guns, and, and he lost them all because somebody said, they didn't prove, somebody said that he had done wrong. Really, really. Uh, that's that's just, yeah, it's terrible. And I applied the, the same thing that I applied to everything else. Would this have stopped any of the, the big events that we've heard about in the last few years? Nope. Doesn't look like any of that would have worked. You know, they they knew that the Parkland – guy was gonna was gonna hurt people they knew it they had all the opportunities to remove it this wouldn't have stopped it is there any version of this law and, and glenn you, you talked about this there's no version of this that doesn't eliminate due process and therefore i just don't think we can have it i say this all the time if you would sacrifice freedom for safety you don't deserve either and uh, you know I, I i don't think that anyone has ever said it better uh, let's, uh, I think we're actually at our time limit, but before we go, I definitely want to give you guys the opportunity to, uh, talk about all the stuff that you guys do and where everyone can find you. Um, Cheryl and Danny, I, I want to start with you guys. What, what's all the stuff you're interested in and how, how can people find you? Well, we, uh, wear several hats. Uh, we own three businesses. One is the gun shop. I'll let Dan talk about that. We have AZ firearms. We're a local shop in, uh, Avondale, Arizona. We have about 1,300 guns, and we specialize in collectible guns. Uh, we also want to help people that are new in the field and help them get guns the right way. We uh, advocate education, that kind of thing. We have a full-time gunsmith and that sort of thing. We also have an auction house, Pot of Gold Estate Auctions, where we uh, auction off guns, coins, jewelry, antiques, collectibles, cars, boats, all the fun uh, higher-end stuff that uh, you might find in a person's home when it's time to downsize. Uh, that kind of thing. And then, of course, our radio show, Gun Freedom Radio, that we co-host. So uh, Dan gets to say uh, hello and You're allowing me to talk right goodbye. now? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I probably talk so much this time because she's, she doesn't have the rope to tie me up with right now. She, she didn't put the collar on. 
camera. I have to play nice. <laughs> One of the fun things that we do on our show, we have a, resp- a responsibly armed citizen report that we do, and we talk about people that actually saved someone's life or saved a uh, you know a victim from from a problem. So it's it's good that. to have. Absolutely. It's a two hour weekly show. It's an interview based show just like this. So we reach out to experts in their field and, uh, you know, we get a chance to kind of pick their brain because I know what I'm thinking. I want to know what they're thinking, but it's been a really tremendous opportunity to get to know some incredible people. And when, uh, anyone tries to paint the, the firearms community, really whatever that is as something shady or seedy, I'm like, all right, I have, just go to my guest tab on my, my webpage, gunfreedomradio.com, and just peruse it. The best people you'd ever want to know in your life. So awesome. Where, uh, so gunfreedomradio.com, you just said, and where can we find the other two things online? azfirearms.com for the gun shop and potofgoldestate.com for the auction house. And all the social media, there's all that out there as well? All of that, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Probably others. <laughs> we have a team because that is a full-time job right there, just doing social media. So awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Totally appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Glenn Tate, what do you do? Where can people find you? Yes, sir. I uh, I wrote a 10-book prepper novel series called 299 Days, and it's at 299days.com. Uh, it surprisingly success. I just sat down and started writing stuff. I know nobody believes me, but I just sat down and I just had these ideas. I'd never written fiction before. I didn't know how to write fiction. And I have all these amazingly cool friends that I've met that I don't even know why they're my friends. And it's just a story of the connection of all of us and and a collapse, a partial collapse. By the way, nothing weird, nothing racial, nothing kooky, no conspiracy theories. And it has been <laughs> enormously successful, about 200,000 copies. And that's pretty crazy. And so that's my main gig. I have a day job, as I mentioned, as an, an attorney, and I do that. And then um, my wife, and I like Cheryl and Danny's, the couple vibe is always so cool because we we need more of that. And so my wife, Shelby Gallagher, who's sitting here right here with me today, uh, by the way, um, she just went on a run, came back. She is a prepper author and has a three-book series called The Great State, and it's prepping, and it's a female perspective, but not like a Jennifer Aniston cry kind of movie kind of female perspective. It's like the legitimate real woman perspective of being tough and needing guns in in a a prepping scenario. We have a show called Prepping 2.0. It's both a podcast, and it's on all the usual outlets, and it's also a radio show. We're on a couple stations now. We just got signed up in Salem, Oregon yesterday, as a matter of fact. And uh, the radio part of this keeps growing. And it's a show about the next level of prepping. We we talk about prepping 1.0 is having some beans and bullets. And you got that AR-15, and that's great. And we're not being sarcastic. That is great. The next level, you know, get some radios and and work with your neighbors and get water stuff. So it's that next step. And then uh, I have a project that will be coming along this year called PAM, P-A-M Radio, not Ham Radio. And it's practical amateur radio. It's all the stuff preppers need to know, but no equations and no trying to talk to Greenland when the ionosphere has some correct <laughs> conditions or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not the hobby part. It's the the practical part. And uh, that keeps us really, really busy. Uh, Shelby and I tomorrow will – be doing a book signing in Beaverton, Oregon, which is going to be fun. And, uh, because that's where a lot of her stuff comes from. She came out of Portland. So it's a, it's a great time to be alive right now. Um, we have some battles to fight. We have some liberty to go get back. And I'm just really, really glad this network that we have. And I don't, I mean, network in a small sense, you know, firearms radio network and all these podcasts and the YouTube channels. And we just, we're getting the word out. We're doing a magnificent job of getting our message out, especially to our people. And when times get really bad and people realize that a lot of stuff that they counted on doesn't work anymore, they're going to come to us because we're the ones that have stuff figured out. We're the ones that are going to have the electricity going. We're the ones that are going to be able to take care of ourselves, defend ourselves. That's a huge part of prepping. I mean, it's not about beekeeping and you know growing turnips and stuff like that. That's all great. Somebody's going to come to your house, steal your turnips, steal your bees, which I guess is dumb because they'll sting you. Yeah. And, um, and then you have to fight back. So that's, that's why I'm a, 
a huge fan of the Second Amendment. I've needed it in the past, and and Shelby, my wife, has needed it in the past, and so it's a, it's a personal thing. So that's what we do. It's where we can be reached, and we are so thrilled to be on your show. No, or I'm thrilled to be on your I'm looking at Shelby, so I'm saying we right now. So I, I know she's there in spirit and presence as well. I, I own all 10 of your books. I've read the first two. I need to get, I need to get busy and read the rest, but thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate all of our guests tonight. You guys have been wonderful and I can't thank you enough. Thank you thank so you. much. Bye-bye now. So this show, This Week in Guns, produced by Kenny Ortega and is a production of the Firearms Radio Network. Thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in, dialing in, downloading, whatever it is. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.